Yeah, we should give our biggest fans shout-outs. Chris O'Neill. The end. <laughs> <laughs> we should give all our biggest fan shout-outs. <laughs> Why can't Chris O'Neill be our intern? Because he's color-timing Jorge's movie. Jorge, not as big of a fan as Chris. Chris, bigger fan. Chris O'Neill is a better fan than Jorge. He's not a bigger fan. He's just better at expressing it through the use of likes and comments. Yes. And also advertisements. He has been pimping our podcast on his own profile. What did he do? He has advertised this very podcast, by that I mean, in his own Facebook profile. What did he say? All of his own accord. Thank you, Chris O'Neill. I had no idea. I was really, literally just referring to one like that I saw him post about us recording tonight. But now that I know that there's more, I am extremely impressed. I like, I love that he's been pimping our podcast on his Facebook page. That, that makes me warm and fuzzy in the mind place. Doesn't it? He actually listens to them, too. We have a super fan, you guys. A super fan. Why isn't he? You guys, no big deal. We've just got the biggest fan ever. Yeah. Mm. Our fans better than your fans. Our yeah. fan? Outweighs your fans. This is a podcast called By That I Mean. (laughs) And we try to underdo ourselves every single time. Mm -hmm. With with each successive episode, we aim lower and lower so that we always hit higher and higher every single time. Just so that we think that we hit higher. Exactly. Because relative to the goals that we set, we are shooting for the moon. I can actually speak English and not gibberish. Therefore, I win already. Right? I think we've already come out ahead of how far behind we have been. (laughs) Seth learned how to edit. Dad. I learned how to edit. Um, I learned how to remove some of the likes. Just a few of them. There is still a smattering, an occasional like. I I got a new microphone for Asia. It's an Audix. It is an Audix. <laughs> it is all over Audix. It's Audix. I'm all about Audix. Speaking of Audix, the contest. It's the contest. Uh, yeah. Constituting a contest. For by that I mean listeners. For every 10 fans that you refer, you can either see one of Seth's balls or one of my boobs, whichever one you prefer. And then if you like, and so basically if you, if you refer to 40 fans and you get to see both my boobs and both Seth's balls, but if you only do 10, then just one. And don't worry, neither of us will flash you unless you want us to. 10 fans, one ball, 40 fans, two balls and two strikes. Oh, no, two spares. Oh! <laughs> spares. These are strikes. They, I said strikes, and then you give me a face. I thought you were talking about your balls as the strikes. No. Gutter balls. <laughs> we're going to call this the strikes and gutter balls contest. Yes. And we're really not promising. No, I will show you one of my boobs if you get me. I can't guarantee I'm going to show you one of my balls. They're not in fighting shape. They're not in display condition, Asia. That's all I'm saying. What would you be comfortable showing? I can flash a tit. I've already got that covered. You gotta think of something uh, else. <laughs> That's my area. I can't obviously show off my 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 fallopian tubes or my ovaries. Because they're inside and you would need a, <laughs> an x-ray for that. I'm not gonna invest in an x-ray for this show. Give the what they want. Is that what they want? I don't know yet. We'll find out. <laughs> I'm afraid the answer for that's going to be no. <laughs> Fine. Maybe Seth can serenade you with one of his songs. Oh, maybe Seth can write a song for you. If you want to enter the contest, then um, I guess you can just drive the fans toward our Facebook page. It's You just do a Facebook search for By That I Mean. This kind of actually follows from your contest. This is from KTLA. Woman accused of spraying deputies with breast milk. Yes! Oh my god! Yes! Wow! (laughs) Dateline, Delaware, Ohio. A special education teacher is facing assault charges after allegedly spraying sheriff's deputies with breast milk. 
It happened Saturday as Delaware County deputies were responding to a domestic dispute. The woman's husband told deputies his wife had been drinking at a wedding and hit him several times before locking herself in a car outside a banquet hall. <laughs> when the deputies found 30-year-old Stephanie Robinette, they tried to talk her out of the car. When she refused, they went in after her. When deputies attempted to remove Robinette from the vehicle, she advised the deputies that she was a breastfeeding mother and proceeded to remove her right breast from her dress and began spraying deputies and the vehicle with her breast milk. Robinette is a teacher at Summit Academy, a public charter school that specializes in the education of children with ADHD and Asperger's syndrome. Oh, God. It looks like the teacher has become the student. (laughs) She faces charges including domestic violence, assault, disorderly conduct, and resisting arrest. Yes. <laughs> this, she is like a Coen Brothers character. This is literally like a fucking Coen Brothers movie. She is a teacher and probably should have read she was a teacher. <laughs> How interesting that you mentioned that. Woman accused of breast milk assault on police loses teaching job. From Fox8.com, a central Ohio woman who has pled not guilty to assaulting a police officer by spraying him with breast milk from her lactating breast is now reported reportedly lost her job as a teacher. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it needs to be medals for the spectrum. I was just thinking while you were telling that story, like you can't drink when you breastfeed because you pass on that alcohol to your kid. So why didn't they charge her with reckless endangerment as well? I don't know. Maybe her baby was too fucked up to say anything was wrong. <laughs> Screw our previous contest. If you could get this woman to become our fan... Oh my god. Look at this woman. You've had some troubles, Stephanie. I just want you to know that you have a home on the Facebook page of our podcast. I know that's not the same as having an actual home or a job like the one you got fired from. But if you want to lactate your friendship onto us, go to our Facebook page and, and like us with your milk. She's not listening to this. The point is to get people to get her to listen to us. Chris O'Neill... Your job (laughs) is to get this milk-spraying weirdo to like our page. I think that if we get her, it'd be a really big boon. (laughs) Careful with a word like boon (laughs) around a story like this. (laughs) Jiggle boonie. I don't think I could have said that anymore, Hillbilly. Speaking of calling our friends inappropriate things, Mark Halperin called our president Barack Obama. Barack Hussein Obama. (laughs) And I don't know if you can actually call somebody this in other countries and not be executed, but he called him kind of a dick. I will say that one thing that sets America apart from so many other countries, like Canada and England and France, is that you can call your president a dick and not get executed. (laughs) In Canada, England, and France, they'll have your head for that (laughs) shit. Yes. But we've got the First Amendment, god damn it. And that's what we're going to be celebrating this Monday. It would be seditious. Mark Halperin, you're seditious. <laughs> He's so seditious. He's so seditious. This is why you need interns so you can have time to write little songs. You guys, imagine how much more time I would have for my ditties. They wouldn't all be the same tune, and I would be able to come up with more lyrics in addition to just the name of the person who's literally referenced yes. in the thing we're talking about. From the Washington Monthly, washingtonmonthly.com, Time Magazine's Mark Halperin appeared on MSNBC to critique President Obama's press conference this week about the economy where he actually went on the offensive against Republicans with a smile usually reserved for children who've learned a new vulgarity. Mark Halperin said of the president... I thought he was kind of a dick yesterday. He apologized, and soon after, MSNBC announced it's suspending him. You know what surprised me about that story? I really thought that guy was, like, on Fox News. 
for all the talk that there is of there being some kind of liberal media, most of the pundits are part of just like the Washington, D.C. beltway. They get hired serially to be like on one show after the other. That's what punditry is. And Mark Halperin is one of the worst purveyors of the kind of inside the beltway punditocracy. Like when people talk about the, when people talk about political pundits who just spout off shit and end up being wrong about everything, Mark Halperin is near the top of that list. Continuing from the article, this has sparked discussion about whether MSNBC overreacted, whether the comment counts as a gaffe, whether Dick is overly crude for a news broadcast, whether the president deserves a degree of deference. I thought he was kind of a dick. Like, if somebody had said this about George W. Bush, for instance, I would have been like, yeah. And I would have, like, put my hands, yeah. Like, like in an 80s movie, yeah. yeah. Like, like, freeze frame. Yeah, I would have, uh, or a flash dance. I mean, if somebody said this about George W. Bush, I would have completely agreed. Obama, though? The reason why the Mark Halperin thing is particularly idiotic is that he said a naughty word. Meanwhile, pundits like him, pundits including him, and Republicans are obsessing about non-existent issues and actively ignoring the biggest issue in this country, which is unemployment. And what's coming up is a deadline to raise what's called the debt ceiling in this country, which is the amount of debt that we allow the government to incur on behalf of the people. Um, most other advanced countries don't do this. And there's a good chance, actually, that the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which says that the government will, the U.S. government and its treasury will honor all of our debts and will pay all of our debts as a country that we are bound and obligated to do so, pretty much means that the debt ceiling is probably unconstitutional. And yet even Democrats are going along with this charade that it needs to be raised. What What is supposedly going to happen if the debt ceiling isn't raised is that the country is basically going to be thrown back into recession. Because if... Wait, we left recession? When did that happen? Wall Street has. They've had the most profitable like week in two years. We left recession. Nobody yeah. told me. You didn't get that memo? No, I didn't get the memo. No, mm-hmm. I didn't get the job. The free recession recovery job? No. That the Republicans passed the moment that they took over the Congress in November? They were giving out free jobs, you guys. Um, and by free jobs, they mean you work for them for free. They call it indentured freedom. Yeah, I think maybe we left a depression, but we're still in a recession. Rich people don't feel anything anymore. <laughs> any effects of the recession anymore so therefore it must well be- the rich the rich have been profiting off of the recession um, in fact congresses have always voted to raise the debt ceiling republicans now because they're all beholden to the tea partiers are demanding massive spending cuts amid a country that still has like nine or ten percent unemployment they're demanding like medicare and social security cuts They basically want Obama to be the Democratic president who signed on to dismantling the social safety net in the country. And the thing that scares me is that he is so willing to compromise and so desperate to look quote-unquote bipartisan that I'm worried he basically would, would sign on to something that will obviously have a horrible result for the country in the name of looking like a fiscally serious person. I don't think that he's an idiot, though. I think that what he's done I so think far is just so he can get reelected, so he can do what the fuck he wants next term. So everything that he said, like, he hasn't really done. He's tried to do, but he hasn't really been able to accomplish much. So I really think that he's just Exactly, to because, because the Republicans have completely opposed everything he's done. When every, literally everything he's proposed to do and all the things that have ended up passing were Republican things, even when the things that Obama got passed were Republican proposals and ideas put into the legislation that Democrats ultimately voted for, he still never got Republican support. So you're exactly right that he didn't actually get the chance to enact his agenda as he promised it. But at the same time, I also think we need to realize that a lot of the problem is in Democrats who also want to be seen as quote-unquote fiscal conservatives and are going along with or even egging on cuts to the social programs that the working class and the poor and even the middle class are 
really, really desperately need to make ends meet. Yeah, I just, I don't think that he would do that. He is not the one who has to pass a law to raise the debt ceiling. It's Congress. Congress has to vote to raise the debt ceiling. I know that. That's going to be necessary. The Republicans are demanding, in exchange for their vote on that, new legislation that will go through Congress that Congress will have to pass, that the president will have to sign, that actively cuts down the size of the government. So... What Obama did this week in his press conference was lay out that he wants part of that to be at least $400 billion of it to be tax increases in the form of getting rid of basically tax credits. Like we, we give rich people massive, massive amounts of tax credits, and he's not even going after the biggest ones. He's just going after some of the most obviously odious, like subsidies to oil companies and like ethanol subsidies, things like that. But it, it's not any kind of tax increase on rich people, but Republicans are so completely in lockstep with the Tea Party that they've all signed this like no tax pledge that they will never, ever vote to ever raise any kind of taxes, even though that's literally how the government operates. Yeah. Why would he even bother doing a, like, a press conference about this if he was even considering cutting Social Security. That's why I thought his press conference was particularly brilliant. I think it was actually smart of him not to go after the literally like taxing the rich. He just went after ones that are so obviously disgusting to people. So what he's going to try to do is drag Republicans into saying, oh, we can at least all admit that these are bad. Let's get rid of these. I, I think it's a sad commentary that both parties, though, are both completely equally willing to cut trillions of dollars of spending out of the economy amid 9% unemployment. And what they're haggling about is like $400 billion versus trillions of dollars of cuts. When people say cuts, they don't imagine it, but it's literally money that's being taken and that's not going to be spent in the American economy. It's money that's not going to be spent. And in times of massive unemployment and recession, the government is supposed to be the spender of last resort. It's supposed to spend the most during the hardest times. Yes, to like create jobs. Or to at least ensure some basic guarantee that if there aren't jobs that people are going to be okay. Yeah. And what Republicans are going after are literally the things that make sure that people who have the absolute least survive. And they're actively fighting that and they're actively they've and they've got way too many Democratic friends who are all too willing to join them in doing it. I really don't think that the president would do that. Even in a press conference that people would know this is why I'm doing what I'm doing and like they can say whatever they want to me and I'll make some cuts. To, to, you know, to, in, in the budget, but I'm not going to cut the things they want me to cut. And yes, Obama's done, obviously, much better than Bush. He created more jobs in, I believe, a year than Bush created in his eight years. But it hasn't been enough to actually start an economic recovery in this country. Well, I love how people say it hasn't been enough. He gave away things that would have made his legislation far better and far more effective in the virtuous goals that it had if he had actually required Republican support for those things before making the concessions. In almost every instance, whether it's health care, whether it's the environmental legislation that they were trying to craft, whether it was the stimulus package, which ended up being mostly tax cuts, and then that second stimulus um, last November in the lame duck session of Congress that was all tax cuts. He is willing to lay all his cards out on the table and give up and literally start with his absolute final bottom dollar offer rather than starting from the maximalist position as the Republicans would do saying this is the mountain that we're going that we want you to climb you have to meet us at the top of this mountain and well in the case of Republicans you have to meet us at this cliff and jump the fuck off so you're but, saying that he's got basically an idealism issue yes he assumes he's negotiating with people of good faith and I think this goes to his real temperament as a person and it's honestly it's a thing that I think is is very noble and great about him, but the Republican Party in this country has gone fuck nuts. Yes. Are pathologically incapable of governance and trying to dismantle the federal government. 
It's one thing to give someone a chance to rise above their reputation. We all have the chance to show that we're critical thinkers even when we join a club and try to represent whatever their line is. But when do you stop? When do you finally call the problems that the people are having, the people that voted for him, especially, are having with Obama, um, stem from the fact that he is the first black president. You might think that that's racist, or you might turn your nose up at it, or whatever. But in this country, black people are still not seen as equals by everyone, and especially not everyone in Congress, especially. And I think that what he's doing is, you know, he's trying to he's trying to work with them to see, show that he is able to work with them. And I think that he's also trying to, to basically appease everybody so nobody wants to like hurt him or his family and also so he can leave some sort of lasting legacy. I, I won't rule that out in the case of some of the Southern Republicans. I completely agree with that in terms of many of the strongest Tea Party supporters because I do think a large part of the baby boomer generation, the white baby boomer generation, the people who were formerly middle class and who lost their pensions and retirement funds, there's a lot of not only economic anxiety, but racial anxiety, the feeling that they're losing, quote unquote, their country. And I do think it's a threatening notion that a black man can be the president of this country to some people. But I don't think that explains the complete deadlock in Congress. And that doesn't explain like the, econo- the economic collapse. We were already in a collapse. Right. He's actually helped pull us out of it. And a majority of the country still believes that, still understands that Barack Obama inherited the financial collapse. Yeah. I mean, imagine imagine that you, you bought your first house, right? And the owners of the previous house were completely messy and fucked everything up. And you had to work on fixing everything little by little. It wouldn't all get better overnight. You would have to work on like one room at a time. Well, and actually that ties into what I was going to say about your racism point is that I don't think that explains the systemic problems in the government. That I think a lot of the people in our age group who voted for Obama thought that making that one vote in that one election was going to change everything. And... I think a lot of the anger that people our age are feeling right now comes from the emotional realization that you kind of bought into the hype but weren't really paying attention to politics enough to know that there were systemic problems in not only the way we fund elections but the way that our government works right now. I'm reading from people that they want to sit out the next election, that they want to vote for fucking Ralph Nader or some shit. This is not the time to be repeating the mistakes of every group of young progressive people for the last several generations which is getting disillusioned and dropping out because the people who benefit from the political system being broken are the same people who benefit wildly from people's cynicism and non-participation in even exercising a vote to change things You know, there has been there's been a poll where every time more young people, the more young people that join in voting, every year that happens, a Democrat wins. I think people are slowly waking up to how nihilistic the Republican Party has become. The thing about this young generation getting disillusioned, I think it's also a problem with how extremely into instant gratification our culture is at this time. Like you can get information in like a second. You can get you can get food in a second. You don't have to leave your house to do it's anything. True. But it takes a lot to change minds. Yeah. Well, and it's easy to scare people enough to not want to change anything. Yes. It's difficult to inspire people to try something different. Yes. If they don't raise the debt ceiling, the world financial market will go into a panic because America is the number one economy in the world and we will be signaling to the international financial markets that our government is unserious enough and too childish to even agree to pay its bills. Oh, shit. This is separate from the debt ceiling, but every year the government says how much debt it will incur. It estimates how much it's how much money it's going to spend. And if the government doesn't spend that money, if the government shuts down, 
Military families won't be paid. Soldiers won't be paid. Hospitals will shut down. And then in terms of the financial markets, the government will not have spent that money. So all of the stock trading around the world that revolves around how America's government is spending money, all the stocks of the defense companies that we don't pay. So basically, Republicans are threatening the entire country. They're holding the country hostage. They did that last year, too. Obama wanted to extend a lot of middle-class tax cuts late last year during the lame duck session of Congress, because for whatever reason, Harry Reid and the Democrats didn't bring that shit up for a vote earlier when they had the time. And Republicans held that whole thing hostage and threatened to force Obama to be the one who raised taxes on working and middle-class and poor people in the middle of a recession so that all of the Bush tax cuts on millionaires and billionaires would also remain in place. So that was their cost for extending unemployment insurance, which they were about to completely cut off, and extending tax cuts for the people who are actually suffering right now. But now they're literally holding the full faith and credit of the U.S. economy hostage and telling Obama, you be the one to pull the trigger. This is the kind of shit in the 60s that would have made people go out into the streets and protest. I want to go out in the street and I want to protest. I want to be the only one. I want to be arrested immediately for being insane. I mean, I got nothing else to do. I'm not going to be anywhere tomorrow until 10 p.m. Well, I wish that, I wish the, like, the, the jobless of America would unite. No, they have to look for jobs. Like, that's a full-time job. Well, and job. you know what? And I, honestly, I think a, a big part of it is that people are struggling so much to survive in whatever ways they're surviving now that for most people in really dire straits, it's difficult to even contemplate like setting aside the time to go protest or march but I I do think that's the only way that any kind of critical head of steam is going to build to really change things in this country. Obviously America is not an authoritarian regime but at this point we're kind of a corporate oligarchy. We're kind of ruled by the people with money and we've seen in other countries this very year how powerful just marching in the streets can be, how much of an act of defiance that can be. And I mean, we saw it for a brief and beautiful moment in 2008 after Prop 8 passed in California. There were a couple days where the gays basically went on strike and literally blocked off streets, blocked off blocks of streets, blocked parts of Hollywood in West Hollywood and West LA, I think in Santa Monica, all over California. And then it just stopped. If something that was obviously that powerful and that affecting to people in the moment dissipated that quickly, I can understand how it's difficult to get people really pissed off about something as boring sounding as the debt ceiling. Because it literally is, it's the most arcane horseshit you can possibly imagine. It's a to make it sound interesting. You have to make people care. That's why they have advertising agencies. Exactly. <laughs> we need to sell the debt ceiling like a hula hoop. Yes. Um, or a skip it. Skip it. Skip it. I still remember the jingle. Oh, oh, I remember. <laughs> and that shit made you march in the streets or or just look stupid. We need to gather 10 million jobless Americans with skippets skip in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Uh, we're going to tell the Republicans. Yeah, we're going to go to Congress and tell the Republicans. You know that vote on the debt ceiling? Skip yeah. it. You stay home that day. The most absurd truth is that if Congress just disbanded and let existing law continue forever, there would be no deficit problem. The thing that we have to make trillions of dollars in cuts from basic government services for right now the reason we have to do that, the horrible crisis we're going through, would literally be resolved if Congress did nothing. And this is from Mother Jones Magazine uh, by Kevin Drum. If Congress let the bulk of current law continue, that means the Bush tax cuts expire in 2012, like Obama agreed to and the Democrats voted for last November. 
um, the Healthcare Act cost controls are allowed to take effect. Those are the various programs to make doctors get paid according to what treatments work and get paid less for treatments that don't work, and also to kind of determine the fairest price for various medical services and for drugs. Drew down the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and agreed to pay for any changes that have to be made. There would be no deficit problem. Congress is basically useless, is what you're saying. Congress is not only useless, its actions are actively destructive. Skip it! Hey now kids, come get around. That's it! Skipped into town, but the very best thing of all, there's a counter on this ball. This is an article by Paul Krugman, who's a New York Times columnist and a Nobel Prize winner in economics. He says, traditionally, the debt limit has been treated as a minor detail. During the administration of President George W. Bush, who added more than $4 trillion to the national debt, Congress, with little fanfare, voted to raise the debt ceiling no less than seven times. So use of the debt ceiling to extort political concessions is something new in American politics. And it seems to have come as a complete surprise to Mr. Obama. Failure to raise the debt limit which would, among other things, disrupt payments on existing debt, could convince investors that the U.S. is no longer a serious, responsible country with nasty consequences. Furthermore, nobody knows what a U.S. default would do to the world financial system, which is built on the presumption that U.S. government debt is the ultimate safe asset. But confidence isn't the only thing at stake. Failure to raise the debt limit would also force the U.S. government to make drastic, immediate spending cuts on a scale that would dwarf the austerity currently being imposed on Greece. And don't believe the nonsense about the benefits of spending cuts that has taken over much of our public discourse. Slashing spending at a time when the economy is deeply depressed would destroy hundreds of thousands and quite possibly millions of jobs. Our president has to stand firm against people who are literally trying to take the country hostage in order to hurt it more. If he can't stand up to the Republicans on that, then he won't stand up on anything. And I think the press conference this week was hopefully the first step of him really starting to stand up for it. And I think strategically he was very smart to do it for not not solely in the name of raising taxes on rich people, but in the name of kids who need to go to school in the name of medical and scientific research that has to be done in the name of roads and bridges that have to be built. Finally, putting these things in a practical context, Paul Krugman says, the since debt is the consequence of decisions about taxing and spending, and Congress already makes those taxing and spending decisions, why require an additional vote on debt? See, this is what I do. Most other countries don't have don't have a debt limit. Like it's in in most other places, it's a ridiculous concept. In fact, there are some other countries. I think it was mostly European countries that used to have one and voted to get rid of it. This is you know the funny thing is how I heard about this. I was at my brother's place, and he turned, he he likes to watch the news, local news, and they talked about it for a second. It's like more of this after the break. Then he went to sleep, and I turned the channel because like I don't watch the news. <laughs> I like I read it. I don't watch it because I don't like people of questionable ethnicity with fake smiles pretending they care about stories they don't really give a shit about. I I think the ultimate marker of the total emptiness of the media now is how all they're talking about and all that the DC Beltway is talking about is the debts and deficits when the real crisis in the economy is unemployment. You don't hear the media talking about that as though it's an actual problem happening in all of our communities. They refer to it like maybe in passing as part of some stimulus idea that Republicans are blocking. That's when they'll mention all the millions of people who are not being able to find decent work. Well, you have to realize the news people themselves have jobs. They don't really need to discuss unemployment. Well, yeah. Because it doesn't really affect them. People who are in elected office, both as a consequence of their salaries and also as a kind of result of the intermingling of politicians and the private sector, people who become mainstream politicians these days 
are very, very, very rich people because they either take lobbying jobs before or after they're in office making money in the private sector doing what they do. So they have no connection whatsoever with people who suffered from the recession. All the people that they were actually exposed to during the recession were people who were doing fine and still did fine and have continued to do fine afterward. Um, But I think that's another reason why Actually contacting your Congress critters is important. Do not email them. I would say write them. Even if that's printing out a letter, that's better than nothing. But handwriting letters or printing letters and emailing them snail mail style, they actually do read it. That doesn't mean that you're going to change their minds. But under a certain amount of pressure, they, they do respond to the people who they actually work for. But at the same time, they're also responding to money and trying to get reelected, mm-hmm. um, which I think is why it's important that right now, when one of the two major national parties is holding the country hostage for its own insane agenda, that they be called out and not accommodated just as people who were posturing for the election. Because I think Obama took it where he needed to take it, challenging the Republicans on their own turf on on getting rid of needless spending in the form of, in the tax code. But I, I hope he realizes, and if he realizes it, I hope he conveys to the American people that Republicans are mischaracterizing our country's problems and going after things that are not actually threatening our economy and their solutions to those non-problems would actively harm the economy. And they're obviously doing it only to win an election. Actually, our president, President Obama, being a quote-unquote, as they like to say, community organizer in Chicago, he actually, that just means he talked to the people and understood what their problems were and how to how to help them which wasn't a horrible thing to be villainized it was a thing to be applauded as someone who is trying it to was. work for you as a person it, it was and I, I thought the, Repo- the Republican critique of that was so just based on what parts of his life story fit their propaganda and elitism I don't think Obama has been part of the working class in America for a very long time like he grew up as a single mom in Hawaii and then he like worked his way through school and all that. So he hasn't always been a part of the elite. Right. I'm just saying that he... Sure. He knows where he came from, and he tries to understand the needs of people. I think the the role of the presidency in the economy has been overstated for a very long time. And what I hope people get out of Obama's first term is realizing that it's not just the presidency that's that matters and that has been problematic. It's really the Congress that needs to be fixed. This was another point that I thought President Obama made beautifully in his press conference, which was that Congress could be writing laws to create jobs right now. Congress could be doing a civic works project could be funding infrastructure could legislate to wind down wars could roll back tax cuts for rich people could make payroll tax holidays for working class people they could be doing all these things but they're not Um, and I thought on that I was really happy with him because it emphasized how government is supposed to work which is that the Congress is supposed to write and pass the laws in the government and the president is supposed to sign them. For so long, we've come to see the president as a king. It's hard for us to shake that notion long enough to see that, oh, it's all the other people in the castle are slacking off. Yeah. Let's add another evil fucking wrinkle to the story why, of... Why doesn't he make more evil wrinkles? I can't just let me enjoy my birthday chocolate. I can't let you enjoy Morgan Freeman's chocolate hat when Republicans are going around being thug nuts. <laughs> For the last few weeks or so, Vice President Joe Biden was leading a series of talks with Republican and Democratic congressional leaders to hammer out this deal to raise the debt ceiling and to make all these cuts and spending changes in the government. Now, the person who ended these negotiations by walking out of them the moment that 
getting rid of these corporate tax cuts from billionaires was proposed, um, the guy who walked out and basically scuttled the whole negotiation process is Representative Eric Cantor, Republican of Virginia. From Salon.com, when Eric Cantor shut down debt ceiling negotiations last week, it did more than just rekindle fears that the U.S. government might soon default on its debt obligations. It also brought him closer to reaping a small financial windfall from his investment in a mutual fund whose performance is directly affected by debt ceiling brinksmanship. Last year, the Wall Street Journal reported that Cantor, the number two Republican in the House, had between $1,000 and $15,000 invested in uh, ProShares Trust Ultra Short 20-plus year Treasury EFT. This is a mutual fund that uh, aggressively shorts long-term U.S. Treasury bonds, meaning that it performs well when U.S. debt is undesirable. A short is when the trader hopes to profit from the decline in the value of an asset. Unless an agreement can be reached, the U.S. could begin defaulting on its debt payments on August 2nd. If that happens, and Cantor is still invested in the fund, the value of his holdings would skyrocket. Wow, what an incredible ass. A phenomenal ass. An exquisite. That just sounds like a compliment to him. But <laughs> he is a villain. Yeah, honestly, it's it's so fucking comically super villainous. Like cruel intentions, though. This is like because usually villains are the type like, that make themselves look better, but by being like the penguin from Batman, made the whole city of Gotham think that he was like an incredible like candidate for mayoral election, and that he would like was on their side, and he was like he saved babies and he saved towns, and that the Batman was going fucking insane. It's not that. He's just a fucking villain. Like, you could see his intentions. Obviously, clearly, he is not the Penguin. He's not a supervillain. He's just an asshole. Yeah. Who wants money? Does he even need more money? I think it said the value of this portfolio was at least a million dollars. Yeah, he doesn't need more money. Is it, isn't that patriotic, I you think guys? That's terrorism. I think. Isn't that terrorism? Well, I think on the annual celebration of American independence, we need to remember who the true terrorists are, and that would be the people who hold poor folks hostage so that they can make money. So they could potentially screw people that are fighting for us. If you supported our troops, you'd make sure that they, would, they were damn sure going to get paid. Well, and you also would have opposed a war before Barack Obama started taking them over. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. Yeah. And actually, I read recently that they were doing what's called whipping to see what Republicans would and wouldn't vote for in the House. Mm -hmm. Only something like 30 House Republicans would vote against defense cuts as part of this debt limit deal. All of them would vote against tax cuts, but their anti-tax ideology now is so complete that they're willing to support scaling down the military. In spite of all the negative things that you, not negative, but just crit critical things that you say about our president, I'm happy that you are rooting for his re-election. And I don't, I, am. I don't think it's necessarily just because the alternative was worse. I think it's actually because you genuinely like him. I do genuinely like him. And I also have, through my politics addiction, come to learn that the problems that are facing us aren't just problems of individual politicians. Because if we were in some particular kind of system, some political arrangement, if we had that much power, who knows what the hell we would do with it? I mean, we know what we do with our power now but in totally different circumstances you can't ever know how you're going to respond to the incentives that are placed before you and i do believe that barack obama's an excellent person i just hope he changes <laughs> i i hope he changes or i'm gonna change my hopes <laughs> No one's going to ride in on a fucking unicorn and make it all better. Obama's not going to do it. No other politician is going to. FDR did it. But he... <laughs> no, no, actually, he wheeled in. FDR rolled up. 
with his platinum rims, <laughs> his platinum rimmed wheelchair, and said, I'm going to WPA the fuck out of you, America. I'm going to make it rain. <laughs> Employment. He's got the 22s, yo. <laughs> <laughs> He's got running lights on the chair, y'all. <laughs> Then they spin. He's my favorite president. I'm sorry. He's my favorite, favorite, favorite president. He's not a bad favorite president to have. No, because he's the one that made Democrats not like blue dog Democrats. <laughs> Again, it's a consequence of being a political junkie, but I've been listening to speeches by FDR. The term he had for it perfectly describes what we have now as economic royalists. He said, they hate me and I welcome their hatred. Yes. He didn't care. He, he did not care. What the fuck did well, they and, do and, polio? What the fuck did they do to him? But He's like, I already got polio. Here's the thing. We can't, we can't be waiting for FDR because too many people thought Obama was going to be FDR. And the system that produced FDR also produced huge Democratic majorities in Congress. And not only that, but the yeah. filibuster, even if it was a part of the system, it wasn't used 1% as much as it's used now. And he had four terms. No, he was elected four times. But the first right. term he died. That was before they had term limits. After FDR like died, they were like, we need to do term limits. Well, and, and, and it's... It's testament to how much of a rarity he was because obviously he came from a very wealthy blue blood family. No, but also, it was also before they had televised debates. Mm -hmm. So nobody could see him. And in the society that we live in now, that would have been... I don't think no, it would have been an issue. It would have, because that was an issue for Nixon when he went up against Kennedy. Because Nixon was ugly and JFK was hot. Obama and the de the Department of Justice are now finally investigating just two of the 99 deaths of detainees of the terror suspects that happened under CIA custody in all of these black site secret prisons we had all over the world. 99 people were basically kidnapped from their homeland, tortured to death, murdered by the U.S. government, and... At worst, we're only going to prosecute, like, probably two or three CIA folks for these two incidents. Um, it was so much easier to focus on the silliness of Sarah Palin than the legitimately awful things that she wants to do. It's easier to focus on Michelle Bachman confusing John Wayne with John Wayne Gacy when her campaign platform is all about repealing Medicare destroying social security, eliminating the minimum wage, eliminating child labor laws. Ironic for a person who can't stop accumulating children. But yeah, it's it's especially difficult when people are crazy because you want to focus on the silly ways that they're crazy, the entertaining ways. You don't want to focus on the truly fucked up things that they want to do. The news media which has its own massive set of problems aside from a completely unsustainable business model, also has to chase after everything that's titillating, but it doesn't get ratings to say Michelle Bachman wants to repeal child labor laws and wants to get rid of the minimum wage and Republicans don't want to raise the debt ceiling. It's a lot more fun to say this congressional candidate said she's not a witch. Can we talk about something happy? Something gay, Asia? New York! Congratulations. Your world has got a whole lot gayer. Because all the gays are going to come to you to get married. 33 to 29. Several times the legislature passed it without any governor signing it. Governor Andrew Cuomo, who has otherwise established himself as a very right-wing Democrat, he helped union busting, he helped reduce public workers' pensions, he's helped roll back environmental laws, he's done all kinds of horrible things, but he actually got Republicans, rich Republicans on board to spend millions of dollars lobbying Republican legislators to finally get marriage equality passed in New York State. Yay! Well, yeah, the amount of gay people who are now living in states that allow for same-sex marriage is doubled. doubled. Now that the gays can marry in New York, 
How long until anarchy prevails? How soon are straight parents going to start burning their straight children in the streets of New York as a as an offering to drive the spirits of gay away? It's New York. I honestly don't think any of them give a shit. Well, yeah. Nor should they. And may I just say that I cannot wait for the day when nobody gives a shit that this happened. And that the celebrations, you know, can run their course and everything, of course. However, just when all 50 states realize, and I'm pretty sure this is going to happen within my lifetime, everyone in the United States can marry without fear of persecution. In a saner future, if we reach a saner future, we're going to look on this back on this period with disgust and just horror at the way that LGBT people and women and non-white people were still treated and still talked about in this country. Yeah, I just cannot wait for the day when this is a non-issue. I'm ready to get beyond it. Yes. Because honestly, there are more important things than people's tax breaks and a certificate from the state. We will be a fundamentally better country when we recognize that all people deserve full marriage equality. But at the same time, I think economic inequality and unemployment are much bigger issues and affect many more people. I'll be even more glad when we can move on to structural problems that cut across all of the various divides that we have. I'm over it. I almost take the opposite stance, though, that that it is a big deal because marriage itself is a fundamentally conservative institution. Monogamy isn't a thing that's naturally programmed into us. It's not. It doesn't have biological uh, underpinnings. It's a it's a social thing, and it's a fundamentally conservative act to say that this person who I am in love with and have a relationship with, I promise to spend the rest of my life with. That's a conservative institution, and to the extent that religious people make that argument, and to the extent that right-wingers make that argument, including more people in that conservative institution, only makes that institution stronger. Like, heterosexual people are allowed to choose how their marriage works for them, whether it's an open marriage, or whether it is a, you know, a marriage, like an arranged marriage, a marriage of convenience, a marriage of, you know, money or putting two powers together. Right. There is no one type of regular marriage at all. It's not. It's, it's come to encompass so many more things and it's also come to be viewed and defined so much more romantically than it was in its original incarnations as a property transaction. Yes. You know, we don't generally do the fucking dowry shit anymore. We don't promise 13 year old girls to 18 year old men who are well into their adulthood now, you know? Um, but yeah, you're exactly right in that marriage has evolved over the years and the ways in which it's evolved, they strengthen its foundation as an expression of love and as a societal way to encourage love among people. And I, and I, again, I think that adding more people who are already pre-committed to that ideal and already bonded to each other to fulfilling that all the ideals that that institution is about, adding those people in who are already dedicated to it is only going to strengthen it. There's literally no threat involved. Mm -mm. The threat that's involved is people who lie about their own relationships and their own marriages. If a homosexual couple gets married, is that going to take away your tax breaks from getting married? Or is that going to take away... Your right to see. Um, no, I believe it won't. Yeah, I believe it won't. Because I see your way. You tried to see your husband in the hospital. Oh, I'm sorry, Asia. You can't see your husband in the hospital because the gays got married. (laughs) Yeah, it's no threat. It's not an incendiary. Like you can't. It's not gonna. It's not gonna jeopardize. I would let you see your husband, but I've got these cocks in my mouth right now. (laughs) It's not gonna jeopardize your place and. In quote unquote heaven or wherever, whatever you see the afterlife as. It's crazy to me. Uh, do you actually read the book that you subscribe to and that you thump on? 
No, they just like to thump on it. They don't like to read it. It's it's <laughs> no, a it's they, a thumping they, book. I think the best lessons of of a spiritual practice are the reminder that you're not the only person that matters and that love is what connects you to the rest of the world in a way that will keep you alive. He's saying love love will keep us together? As the great <laughs> religious philosophers, Captain Antonio once said, love will keep us together. I see a lot of gay people, a lot of progressive folks who are in the same political stripe as me, angry at the president, angry at other gay people, very, very angry at straight people for the lack of progress on gay equality. And my message is that the only real revolution that is needed in this country is one of love. Love is what unlocks your empathy to be able to see the condition of other people and imagine yourself in their place and decide to try to help them. Love is what binds people together along with delightful tax breaks. And love is pretty much the only thing that makes people set aside their irrational and preconceived notions of who you are and where you come from. The reason why marriage equality prevailed in New York is not because gay people got angry and yelled at straight people or burn shit down. LGBT people engaged in the communities that they were already a part of. They had actual outreach, which didn't happen in California before Prop 8. And the love that LGBT folks have is obviously the same human love that we're all capable of. So what I see, both in terms of what we need to do in our political system and what will bring real equality to this country is people being honest and open about their love. And so kudos to New York for that. Thanks, hippie. In an age where we are dominated by our emotions and facts no longer hold sway, that the only way we can cut through hatred and fear and bigotry and anger is with love because I don't I don't think the facts are enough anymore I don't think the facts will get through to people who've been raised on misinformation their whole lives I'm, you are I'm not to a choir preaching to a choir of one <laughs> no, I was, was 36 so I know we spent a lot of time talking about debt ceilings and horrible nihilistic republicans so let's let's drop a bit of science how would you react if i read the headline bugs penis makes loudest animal sound who's going around just testing the penises of bugs for for decibel levels well asia here's here's the thing and i know that you don't have any experience with this because you don't have a penis but when you when you're gifted with nature's bounty um and i consider nature's bounty to be a penis you will do everything you can to try to prove that it is the the best um you will measure it for its length if it's not the longest you will check the circumference and or radius and you try to make it make sounds everything with a penis tries to make sounds with it, obviously. Um, you use it as a percussive device, hit it against pots and pans, um, but sadly, human penises can't make the kind of noises that our cousins in the insect kingdom can. This is coming from Wired magazine, because as we all know, Wired is at the forefront of phallic audio research. This minuscule water boatman may be smaller than a drawing pin, but it's also the loudest animal on the planet. Well, relative to its body size, at least. The male lesser water boatman can create mating calls as loud as 99.2 decibels, which is the equivalent of sitting in the front row of a loud, full-blown orchestra, or standing 15 meters away from a hurtling freight train. 
Remarkably, even though 99% of sound is lost when transferring from water to air, the sound of the boatman is so loud that a person walking along the bank can actually hear these tiny creatures singing from the bottom of the river. And to make this, to make this noise, the male water boatman rubs his penis or genitalia appendage against the ridged surface of his abdomen like a wooden spoon against a washboard. The size doesn't matter for this tiny marine animal though, as the whole area measures about 50 micrometers across, roughly the width of a human hair. And the last thing is um, the act of rubbing two body parts together to make a noise is called stridulation and is seen in insects from grasshoppers to spiders. How are you not awed by the seemingly endless power of cocks? Um, I don't necessarily think that the power of the penis is the reason why the story turns me off. I despise bugs. I hate bugs, and I would like to eradicate all insects, Nazi style. Wow. So, are you are you jealous of this insect? Do you want to have this ability? If you're going to be the Hitler of bugs, learn the secret of their stridulation and teach it to me. No, I plan on just killing them. I don't need to know their secrets. What a waste. I'm sorry. It's just this... I'm afraid of bugs. Like, I think we've got over this before. But again, I think I think it's telling that your hatred comes from fear. I think you need to learn to love the bugs. I mean, they're not humans, so... I mean, and I have no... Rather than being Hitler, be a hippie. Be a Hippler. You can't be, the, like, the Hitler of love? No, that would be killing love. I'm gonna round you up and send you to my love camp. I'm going to selectively breed you for the most loving traits. No. Nope. No. They can't be like an opposite Hitler? No. If given the chance, if bugs were our side, they would kill us. They would murder us? If black widows were too busy rubbing their cocks against their chests, making noises, they wouldn't have time to kill people. Tarantulas kill people? Oh, well, they're just gross. They need to die. <laughs> if bugs were our size, they would murder us. Frankly, if I had to face a tarantula that was my size, I might have the chance of beating it in hand to 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 hand combat. But I'm not sure I want to actually go through with that. I might just kill myself to get it over with. Because if there's one gigantic spider that's my size, there are going to be a whole lot of them. Yeah, that's true. And I just say, I say, we need to get a leg up before they get all mutant on us. It's time to murder all the bugs. Yeah, well, you should keep working on your bug manifesto. Whenever you're ready to publish it, let me know, and I'll put it out on mildly frumpy prestagonist. But for this week, I, I think this is an episode of By That I Mean. If you like us, please go to our Facebook page and like us. You can subscribe through iTunes. Um, or through my website, themfp.org. Um, if you have feedback or want to suggest a subject f- or a topic for the show, or if you'd be interested in perhaps being a guest co-host for the show, uh, drop us a note. Let us know. If you would like to become our next super fan and get a whole guest segment and also... If you want us to give you a hot, long segment, <laughs> become our super fan. Yeah. Pimp our shit on your Facebook exactly. page. Tweet about us. And if you, if, you, if you don't know how to go about it, just go to Chris O'Neill's Facebook page. I have been Seth, stridulating at you from the city of Los Angeles. I'm Asia, and um, I refuse to stridulate for you or anybody else.